Thanks for listening to our sermons from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources or service information, visit us online at sfchurch.com. Today we're continuing a series we started last week called Chosen. The Chosen One has chosen you. And I'm going to open up the Bible. We're going to read uh, from the passage that we just looked at today, and we're going to talk about more of what that means. And so if you've got a copy of the Bible, John chapter 1, starting in verse 43, and I'm going to pray for us, and we will jump into that passage. Father, thank you that you are the God that sees, and that you speak, and that you reveal yourself, that you've not left us in the darkness, fumbling around, trying to figure life out, that you've told us who is life, that your son Jesus, he is the way, the truth, and the life. You've told us how we can experience abundant life. You've come to give us life. And I pray, God, I pray right now for, for those here that have placed their faith in you and they've got eternal life, that we would gaze upon your glory today and you would make us a little bit more like your son, Jesus. You promise in Second Corinthians chapter 3 that from one degree to the next that you'll change us. Will you do that? And I pray for some of you do a supernatural change. And take them from being spiritually separated from you, spiritually dead, to experiencing real life, new life. And I pray that that would not get old. I pray for people who have been to a hundred church services before. This wouldn't just be another one. Do something. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, we are very visual people. And statistics bear that out. And not just the amount of time that we look at our phones or that we want to see different things before we will believe those things. But... You just look at even how much time is still spent, even on TV, you know, even though we've got these little devices we carry in our pockets, people still spend, in America, on average, three hours a day watching television. If I listen to some of these different stats that I, I saw this week, it said, one, according to Forbes, the entertainment industry increased by 14% in 2021 to almost $37 billion. But when you add, like, paid subscriptions and streaming services, um, that number actually jumps to 1335 billion dollars. That's a lot of money. There are reportedly, now you, maybe you have, you know, Hulu or Netflix or whatever different ones, 135 streaming video providers in the United States. <laughs> There's a lot of TV to watch. One of my kids, uh, my youngest daughter, she uh, takes her studies very seriously, which we affirm. That is a great thing. I've got some other kids that think they go to a social gathering and they talk about math there and it's called school. And uh, my youngest, though, she is, she is focused, she studies. She was reading a book the other day. She's laying in the room, reading a book. And I wanted to watch TV. And so I said, all right, Gracie, it's time to watch some TV. And she's like, well, I'm reading my book. And I said, well, it's TV before school, parenting advice, right? I can pick that up there. It's a little extra in the message for you. And uh, I said, once we're done watching all the shows that are available, then you can read your book. And so the next morning, we were going to school, and she used it on me. I said, come on, we got in the car to go to school. She goes, TV before school? Dad, I goes, get in the car. So it's just in that moment. But according to Nielsen, uh, as far as programs that are unique in the United States, unique program titles in the United States, the day that they wrote this, there were 817,000 and climbing every day. <laughs> Different shows to watch. So we've been doing that for a long time. TV shows still consist of the majority of what we consume as we're watching things. 90% of what's watched on all these different services are TV shows. And so you think about not just that, but then you've got our phones and what happens with our phones. And then just think about conversations. Like if you're ever talking to somebody and they tell you something happened in their life, you ever said this statement or heard this statement? If you don't have a picture, it didn't happen. Show me the picture. You know, if I tell you that I was hanging out at the Dean Dome this week and Michael Jordan came in, which is possible, and then he taught me how to shoot free throws, you'd be like, picture didn't happen. Well, I don't have a picture because it didn't happen. But if I had a picture, then you'd be like, wow, now I've seen this. And I was just thinking about different things that some of you may say to me in the, the lobby. You know, there's a, a unique occurrence that happens at Yosemite. There is a waterfall that actually looks like lava flowing from a mountain in Yosemite. I think we have a picture of it here. Yep, there it is. But that's actually not lava, that's water, and it comes from a glacier uh, at a certain time of year in February. If the glacier melts at just the right time, and that water comes down, then from a picnic area, a small picnic area, where this picture is taken from, for about 10 minutes in the evening, in a couple week time span, you can see this doesn't happen every year, but every once in a while there's this natural phenomenon where this takes place. Now if you come up to me afterwards and say, I've seen that before, I say, picture, didn't happen. And I was reading, my family makes fun of me because I like to know useless stats. And I was reading about the moon landing and I know some of you don't think the moon landing happened. How was there wind on the moon? Totally, that's fine. Let's pretend like it happened together today, right now. And what I heard was that Neil Armstrong actually had to go through customs when he came back from the moon which makes me even more judgmental of our government and bureaucracy, but 
I thought, why, why would that? Maybe I thought, I mean, if you went to another country, but I guess he, he did leave the country, so I can see technically why that's true. But what, what was that like? Those of you who've been through customs, you know, they ask you like set questions. You know, what's the purpose of your visit? And what's your job? And do you have anything to declare? And I thought, you know, custom agent, Mr. Armstrong, what was the purpose of your visit? <laughs> to put a man on the moon? Like, would you watch TV? Ninety <laughs> percent of Americans do. Did you not watch it? Do you have anything to declare? <laughs> ah, did you hear that statement? You know, one small step and giant leap and. What's your occupation? I'm wearing <laughs> an astronaut. So, but there's a customs document, actually, that you can see a picture of that we've got here from him coming through customs. I like the cargo section. Do you have anything that you've brought through? Yeah, moon rock, moon dust. There's a, yeah, that, I really went. Picture, or it didn't happen. <laughs> or maybe Photoshop and, oh. <laughs> but we like to see. And you know what's interesting as we're doing this series called Chosen, you know, last week we talked about who Jesus is, the chosen one, but I said to you, then the rest of the message is we're going to talk about what does it mean to answer the call to follow him. And what's interesting is in the Gospel of John, when he calls people to follow him, he often uses this phrase, come and see. So if I come, then what do I see? Because we can see what Nathaniel saw or a guy like Peter saw or different people, but what do we see? And that's what we're going to talk about today. If you got your Bibles, John chapter 1, what does it mean to come and see? What is it that we see when we follow Jesus? And so you go to the Gospel of John, and in the first 18 verses, what we looked at last week, who is Jesus? And we talked about how in verses 1 through 5, it talks about how he is fully God, that there's nothing that's been made that he didn't create. That's Jesus. Not just nebulous idea of God or a voice that was out there. Jesus is the one who created everything. He's preexistent. He's fully God. But then you get to verse 14. And verse 14 says he pitched his tent with us. He's hanging out with us. He's dwelling among us, tabernacled among us. Depends on what translation you look at. And he became, interesting word, flesh. And so he's fully man as well. And so he's transcendent, this transcendent God that seems unknowable, so holy and separate and different and infinite, and that's true. But he's also imminent and present and near, simultaneously both. Oh, well, that's not what we would have made up. And we talked last week about how we prefer to worship a God that we make rather than the God who made us. And we jumped into American history, and we looked at how throughout the ages, when you see these different people that say they're following Jesus, it's interesting that the Jesus they follow always looks like them. Whether it's you want a feminine Jesus, the Victorian age is a great time for you. You want a masculine Jesus, the frontier is a great time for you. Do you want a hippie Jesus? How about the 70s and the Jesus movement? Do you want a a consumer Christ, the boomer movement that we've got going? There's still some of us around here. Wow, we knew what MySpace was before there was a Facebook. And we sell a lot of Jesus products. Or there's a cause-based Christ. He's the millennial Jesus, the political Jesus, the truth-based one, the social justice one. So when people tell you in America that they follow Jesus, the next question needs to be which one. And what John wants to make really clear before you read about the feeding of the 5,000, before we talk about walking on water, who is this Jesus? And the Jesus of the Bible is fully God, fully man, simultaneously, and every time we see Jesus speak in the Bible, that's God speaking. Every time Jesus does something, that's God doing. You want to know what Jesus, you want to know what God thinks? Look at Jesus. You know what God says? Look at Jesus. You want to know what God does? Look at Jesus. And so that's why verse 18 says what it does. No one's ever seen God, the only God, who's at the Father's side. He's made him known, Jesus. You know what God looks like? Look at Jesus. What John had said a few verses earlier, very interesting. John chapter 1 and verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Interesting when he's about to say no one's ever seen God. And what we're going to see is I'm going to read through all of chapter 1 with you right now. And you're like, wow, how are we going to do it? That's a lot. I'm not going to preach all of John chapter 1. The service is six hours long. We've got to keep it contained here and what's happening. But I'm going to go really fast. Believe it or not, I can do that. <laughs> I just want to say, like my friend Ferris Bueller said about life, moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around, you'll miss it. And I so appreciate our tech team. Can we give our tech team a hand? Give the tech team a hand. They're awesome. What I'm about to do, what I'm about to do, they're going to put the verses on the screen, but they're going to keep up with me. 
And you might miss something. So I challenge you. That's one of the reasons why you should bring your own Bible. Because I think you should mark what's underlined on the screen. You should mark. And you're not going to be able to get all of it right now, but you can go back. All I'm doing is giving you breadcrumbs that leads to the feast. The feast is right here. And we don't have time for the whole feast, so we're going to have an appetizer together. I'm going to walk through John chapter 1, and what you're going to see is there is a theme that John is intentionally giving us about seeing. So every time you see the word see, saw, look, behold, manifested, witnessed, those are seeing words. Why don't you underline those or circle them or highlight them, whatever you prefer. We don't care. The Bible doesn't tell you what you should do in there. Preference. You got that. Ready? Here we go. John chapter 1, verse 14, and we have seen his glory. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God. Then verses 19 through 28 is interesting because these people come and they're approaching this guy named John the Baptist. He's the forerunner who comes before Jesus to say, here he is. And verse 29, after telling them, I'm not the Christ, I'm not the prophet, I'm not Elijah, I'm just a voice. I'm just pointing people to that guy. (laughs) Then in verse 29, you don't see seeing language, but he's telling them he's right before your face and you don't see him which we're going to see all through John. John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. (laughs) He's right here and you don't see him. And then verse 29. The next day, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, it's a seeing word, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Verse 32. And John bore witness, seeing word, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He of whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. There's a lot of seeing language in those few verses right there. Verse 35, the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus and walked by and said, behold, or some of your translations say, look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples, one of them is probably John. John oftentimes doesn't name himself when he's writing this book. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following. Pause, hold on, this is interesting. This is the first time we see Jesus do anything in the Gospel of John. His first action In the Gospel of John, a gospel that's written so that you could believe and that you would have life, that says that Jesus came to show who God is that no one's ever seen, the first action that Jesus does in the Gospel of John is see. He turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? That could be a sermon all by itself because he sees their hearts. And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? They were saying they wanted to go interview him. They want to they know more. And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day. For it was about the 10th hour. And John's probably telling us that it's 4 p.m. Because he's telling us, I was an eyewitness of this. Without trying to draw much of attention to himself. And so what did they come and see? Verse 40. One of the two heard John speaking, or heard John speak, and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. That's how he's always mentioned. Big personality, Simon Peter. Everybody, hey, you're so and so, that guy's brother. Oh, you're that guy's brother. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not like him, and I can imagine what that's like. He first found his own brother, Simon. Oh, it's also an interesting pattern when you see this guy and you see Philip. They run and they get somebody they care about, and they tell them about Jesus. There's a whole sermon in that, but that's not the one today. He runs and he gets his brother Simon. He said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ, or the chosen one, the anointed one. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Many of us know that means the rock. Peter was the rock before the rock was the rock. Smelling what I'm cooking? I got that? There you go. Verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip said to him, follow me. That's the way we're used to it being said. You follow me, if anyone's going to follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? (laughs) 
That's very prejudiced, by the way. Philip said to him, come and see. I think there's a lesson there as well. A lot of us, when we tell people about Jesus, we think we've got to defend Jesus. No, just point them to Jesus. Jesus doesn't need our defending. He says, you just come and see. Come and experience Jesus yourself. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, behold, look, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And so now here we see that Jesus not only sees physically, because he's about to say, I saw you under the fig tree. He sees physically the circumstances of your life. He also sees what's going on inside your life. There's no deceit in this guy. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are. Now this is interesting coming from a Jew, and we've been told that his own did not receive him. But we were also told that this book was written so that we would believe and that we could have life. And then you've got these witnesses, and that's what the encounters are through John. Eyewitness accounts about who Jesus is. You've got this Jewish man who's about to give Jesus three significant titles. Rabbi, we should listen to you. Son of God, whoa. King of Israel, you're the one we've been waiting for. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You, will, you haven't seen anything yet. You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you'll see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending and the Son of Man. And so seeing's kind of a theme in John chapter 1, if you didn't pick that up yet. See and saw and look and behold and manifest. And you see these words that John's trying to say to you. I told you no one's ever seen God, but if you want to see God, look at Jesus and look at Jesus. And the first thing he does is he turns and sees someone and then they believe because Jesus saw them. And he says, now you're going to see greater things, which is pretty incredible. When you think about the extreme, like, yeah, there's stats on TV and all that. But think about all the extreme things people will do to see something. Whether it's to get a ticket to an event, whether it's, you think about Coach K. Coach K had his last home basketball game at Cameron Arena this past year. Do you guys remember what team he played? I can't remember. I don't remember. Anybody? Anybody? Caroline. Who won? I don't even remember that. Who won? All right, I'm lying. I knew who won. I just wanted to hear you say it. That's great. Glad you're tracking. But do you remember that, that ticket? Like, you can watch TV on demand anytime you pause life. You don't have to wait in line for the bathroom. You don't have to pay $9 for a soda. Like, it, people were paying. $75,000 to go see that game. To be there, to see. You think about what countries will do in order to see what their enemies are doing? Whether it's, you know, drones flying above, spies being implement, implanted, and somebody taking their whole life, giving their whole life to get into a society and see how they think and see what they're doing, and see what's happening. You know, one time, uh, this is actually documented, the CIA spent $20 million in the 60s to try to develop a spy cat. You can Google Acoustic Kitty if you think I just make this stuff up. And they thought they could get it into the Kremlin or into some of the Soviet embassies and be able to listen to and see what was happening. I don't know if Soviets just really like cats or there's some, are you Russian? Are you, could you tell me why do you like cats? Dogs are a way better spy tool. What are you thinking? And so they, got, they took $20 million to try and plant that. It didn't work because <laughs> they should have won with a dog. There you go. Dogs are better than cats. Anybody who didn't wonder. If you weren't offended last week about my thoughts about the era, uh, then you can be offended by that if you like cats. Just kidding, kind of. <laughs> Cats stink, but everybody's welcome to come to church here. <laughs> but we paid $20 million to get something to do a cat to be able to see something. And we love songs. You know, I'd do anything for love. I'd climb a mountain, swim the ocean, risk my life. But I won't give you my Doritos. Like, whatever's going on. We want to see stuff. And you all these extreme things to see. There's nothing more extreme than verse 14. God became flesh so that you could see what God is like. And then in this passage, he says then, you want to follow me? Come and see. But what do we see? Well, there's a lot. Just in this passage that we could talk about, I'm going to give you two truths today. The first one is this. When you respond to his call to come and see, you will see the God who sees you. You will see the God who sees you. I've already mentioned it and read it in this passage, but in verse 36 through 38, remember the first thing Jesus did is he saw the first action, and he looked at Jesus, and he's walked by, behold, John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God, the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw. And then a lot of the scholars debate about what happened when Nathaniel was underneath that fig tree. And because of verse 51, and it's an allusion to what happened in Genesis 28, you can read that on your own. We're not going to have time to get in that today. But it's Jacob's ladder, and Jacob's wrestling with God. Jacob, 
later gets named Israel. And if you know the Old Testament, Jacob is a liar. And so they, a lot of scholars will say, well, the reason why Jesus says to Nathanael, you're a true Israelite in whom there's no deceit is because he's alluding to that under the fig tree he must have been reading Genesis chapter 28. Well, we don't know. The reality is we don't know what he was doing under the fig tree because the Bible doesn't tell us. But what's really evident in the encounter is that Jesus knew and Nathaniel realized Jesus knows stuff only God could know. God knows our thoughts. As you continue to go through the Gospels, it's interesting when you see Jesus will like tell a guy to get up and walk, and then he looks at the audience and goes, well, you're upset because um, I said that I could forgive sins. How does Jesus know why they're upset? <laughs> he knows stuff. He's fully God and fully man simultaneously. And pause, and like, I'm going to be a man for a little while. No, I'm going to be God now. It's like, he's fully God, fully man in the moments. And so here he says, I believe the reason why he says to Nathaniel, in whom there is no deceit, is because of the statement he said about Jesus. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? <laughs> he knows that Nathaniel's racist. Stereotyping a whole people group. Like they're all, everybody in Nazareth is like this, and they're not good. And, and then Philip doesn't say, oh, there's a couple nice people in Nazareth. He's like, just come and see. And then when he gets there, oh, here comes the honest guy. Because I saw when you were saying about me, nothing good can come out of Nazareth. Humbling and true. I was listening to uh, John Piper preach on this passage, and he goes to a passage of Scripture when he's trying to show what was happening in that passage where the, Jesus confronts the Pharisees, and they're always just trying to make themselves look good and always trying to be right, and so they're deceptive. And he says to, you know, who do, who do you say that I am? And they get an argument about it, and they're like, well, if we say this, and if we say that, then they come back and go, we don't know. Well, here you've got a guy who's racist, but at least he's honest. And Jesus says, you come and see. I saw you. You're going to believe what you're going to see. And here's Nathaniel, and he says these statements. Rabbi, son of God, king of Israel, because he was seen? Because here's the truth. Not only do we want to see we want to be seen. Now, I know when I say that, some of you are introverts, and I bumped into you at Harris Teeter before, and you go down the other aisle so you don't have to talk to me. <laughs> like, that guy can talk. I'm in a hurry, and I don't want to. <laughs> I got it. Because being seen means being known. We're made to be known. And so if you read, like, Psychology Today or some, you know, studies that are done by secular psychologists, they'll say things like this. I read this this week. That the reason why we want to be seen is because it's instinctually been wired into us through evolution because when, a long time ago, if your tribe didn't see you and they left, then you were going to die because the next tribe was going to kill you or you weren't going to have shelter or you weren't going to have food. And so it's, been like, wired into us that we want to always be seen. And that's not why. The Bible tells us why. Uh, you read the Genesis account, God created and it was good. He created and it was good. He created and it was good. And then, then what happens? It's not good. What's not good? It's not good to be alone. <laughs> I was reading Proverbs 18. It's from my own Bible reading this morning. Read Proverbs 18.1. It's very arrogant to live in isolation. And then we read the Bible and it says in the New Testament, you cannot be an obedient Christian if you're not in relationships. We're supposed to be known and to know each other. Hebrews chapter 3. Exhort one another not be exhorted by podcasts. Well, that's not bad. Not be exhorted by your pastor. Not be exhorted by your devotional book. Exhort one another daily. You're supposed to have each other challenging and encouraging you and pointing you to Christ on a daily basis. Love one another. Confess sin to one well, we don't talk about that. Confess sin to one another. Carry each other's burdens. You've got to know each other's burdens. It's like you can't even live the Christian life and not be in this relationship where someone sees you and you see them and you know each other at an intimate level. You were made for that. That's what Pastor Dave talking about, small groups. Small groups isn't the answer for that. Small groups is us giving you an opportunity for that. It's giving you space. It's giving you an option that it can happen in that space. And so we encourage you to do that. Like he said, Jesus was in one. You want to be like Jesus. Well, you're just not there yet. So, <laughs> he was kidding, but, but serious. And so we want you to have that chance because we all, we all want that. In fact, there was one study, I was telling my family about it, they always make fun of me for knowing these uh, random facts that some of you are managers or bosses, so you can use this, uh, whether you're a Christian or not, this is something you can use. Uh, they did a study, and they took two groups of people, and they did the exact same tasks with the exact same compensation, but 50% of the people 
They did not acknowledge their work. They just had them do the work. The other 50% of people, they didn't encourage them. They weren't praising them for their work. They just acknowledged the work that it was done. They did 33% more work because we want to be seen. And here, I think it's interesting, too, that last week when we were in John, in John chapter 1, it was really clear that John was intentionally tying us to the creation account in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created and said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. He made everything. There was nothing that's been made that Jesus didn't make. And then it's talked about Jesus. The first thing that God created in Genesis 1, light, and then Jesus is the light and life for man. It was really clear. But then we come here, and it's like easy just to forget that and to move on to the next thing. But the first action Jesus does is he saw. But if you go to the Genesis account, the first time any human gives God a name in the Bible, it's the God who sees, Genesis 16. It's a woman named Hagar. The context for her story, if you're not familiar with the Bible, is Genesis chapter 12. There's a guy, his name is Abraham. He's the father of our faith. He's the father, actually, of all the major world religions' faith. His father, Abraham, he gets called to follow God without knowing where he's going, and he doesn't have any kids, and the promise is, you're going to have so many descendants, it's going to bless the whole, all the nations, the whole world. He says, go out and look, the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky. The problem is, he's 75 years old. And while he's robbing the cradle and his wife's 10 years younger, she's still 65. I was telling my wife this week, I was telling her how pretty she is and she's going to be pretty when she's older and all that stuff. And I said, remember Abraham, he lied about his wife and said, you're so pretty, they're going to kill me. She was 65. That pretty lady. You're pretty, some pretty ladies. 65 years old, but not having babies. In Genesis chapter 15, it's been about 10 years since Abraham has been given that promise by God. Anybody here prayed for a decade or more for something? Have you been praying for something for a decade? Raise your hands. All right. Several of you can identify. You know, if you've prayed that long for something and it hasn't happened yet, the temptation is to help God out a little bit. And so in Genesis chapter 15, Abraham's struggling. God reaffirms his promise. Genesis chapter 15, put it up on the screen. God says to Abraham, you know, look out at the stars, as many as the stars are. He brought them out and he said, look toward the heavens. And number the stars if you are able. He's, he can't. He can't even see them all. He didn't have all of our telescopes, and we can't even see them all. He can't number all the stars. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Which There's a pause, by the way. So nobody in the Old Testament was saved by sacrificing bulls and goats. It's by faith. It was counted to Abraham as righteousness because he believed the Lord's promise. Okay. Then we get to Genesis chapter 16, and he does the same thing that a lot of guys do in the Bible when they're portrayed poorly. He's really passive, and his wife comes to him with a bad idea. She says, hey, I'm not getting pregnant. Why don't you go sleep with my servant? Her name's Hagar, although if you read the account, it's really interesting. Abraham and Sarah never call her by name. My servant, your servant. When God sees her, Hagar, because he sees her. Little tip, by the way, uh, for us as a church, culturally, people come to you know, it's like, hey, make church anonymous. People want to slide and stuff. No, they want to be known. And so when you see people in the lobby, remember names. Even if you have to write them down, we've had people in our church before that write down names. They put them in their journal. Remember names. Remember needs. Look people in the eye, not on your phone, not over their shoulder, not looking for somebody better to have a conversation with, not what are your kids doing. Look them in the eye. Say their name. Know their needs. And what happens in this passage is Abraham is a fool, because we all can be. His wife says, you go sleep with her. He's like, oh, okay, sounds like a good idea. And he, no one thought to themselves, hey, once she does get pregnant, somebody's going to get jealous. This is going to go poorly. No Dr. Phil back then, but it happens. She gets pregnant. Sarah gets jealous. Sarah starts being a real jerk to her. She can't handle the abuse. She goes running out into the wilderness. Some of you are spiritually in the wilderness. God's pursuing you, just so you know. And what happens is the angel of the Lord shows up in the wilderness, says her name, sees her problem, but says, what, what, what's wrong? He knows, but he listens. I think you're talking and nobody's listening. He's listening. And he talks her through it, and we don't have time to read all of Genesis chapter 16, but if you get to verse 13, she names God. Pretty incredible. I think it's telling that the first person to name God in the Bible is not a Jew, not from his chosen nation. 
It's almost like in the Christmas story when the shepherds come, shepherds are some of the first people to greet Jesus? It's like God's intentionally screaming to us throughout the Bible, I'm for everyone, but you got to come to me. And so here, here's Hagar, verse 13, so she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing. Wait, but he asked you a question and he listened, but you see me. For she said, truly there I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called, and usually we just read this stuff and go past it, Beer Lahai Roy. Beer Lahai Roy. Oh, sounds like a beer. Like, what is that? Well, if you look at the little footnotes, if you've got a study Bible, it'll take you down to the notes, and it'll tell you that Beer Lahai Roy means well of the living one who sees. And so what we see in this passage is that seeing, being seen by God, means that he cares for you, he's present with you, and he provides for you. That's why a well he sees, he, he made provision for me. He's present, provision, and he cares. And we all want that. I don't know if you've ever been to the museum in New York City called the Museum of Modern Art, MoMA, but the largest exhibition, performance exhibition artist I've ever had there before was a woman who did a, a presentation called The Artist is Present. And I don't know if you're familiar with this, it was in 2010. And all she did, it was such a simple presentation. It was on the second floor, just in the atrium. They took two chairs, set them up, and put in a kind of a rectangle space tape around it. And the artist sat, and anyone who wanted to come and sit across from her was welcome to do so. In fact, I've got the picture of it right here. And she started this, she didn't know if anybody would show up. And the first day, she did it, and people came and sat in the chair. And after a few days of doing that, people started coming and lining up before the exhibition even started. By the end of it, after doing it every day, and the chair was full the entire time for three months, people were lining up the night before to come and just sit across from someone and to gaze into their eyes. The artist, her name is Maria, Marina Abramovic, she's Serbian, said, nobody could imagine that anybody would take the time to sit and just gaze in mutual gaze. It was complete surprise to her this enormous, and I think this is an interesting word, need of humans to actually have contact, which I thought was an interesting choice of words by the artist. Because there were two instructions that were given to anyone that would come and sit in the seat. Don't speak to her, don't touch her. She's not going to talk to you, you're just going to look at each other. And she says, if you read about what the experiences were like of the 1,545 people that she sat across from, the largest exhibition, performance exhibition ever in MoMA history was some of them would weep and she would start weeping. And some would sit for less than five minutes and leave, but would wait in line for hours for that opportunity. And then I look at our passage and I, th I think about what Jesus is doing here and what it must have been like for Nathaniel to be called. And, and then in my spot, I think, if Jesus came and taught this sermon here today, not me, he knows your hearts, I think, I wonder, like, would he, would he walk down to James and look him in the eye and be like, and say the moment, like he says to Nathaniel, I saw you under the fig tree. So what would be your moment? Like, what are your wilderness moments? I don't know them. Some of you I do, so I'll be intentional not to look at you and say your moment. But, hey, I saw you when you signed the divorce papers, and you, and you go, I was alone. No one saw because he knows you, and he cares. I saw you when there was that ultrasound and your son's heart stopped beating, the first miscarriage. Or I saw you when, in moments that, like, what was that moment? The chosen doesn't know. They're trying to portray, and I think they do a good job of it. Was Nathaniel saying, don't turn your face from me? It's possible. Was he reading Genesis 28 and thinking, I, I don't get to see God like Jacob get to see God. How come we can't see the way that the people in the Old Testament got to see? And maybe, I don't know. But it was a moment, and Jesus knew. Or I wonder if Jesus would just look at you like the woman at MoMA, and you would know that he knows and he wants to know you. Because what this is showing us is that the infinite God, who is transcendent 
and all-knowing and all-powerful and all-present wants an intimate relationship with you. He's fully God and near fully man. What John was writing about and just saying the truth of in verses 1 through 18, he's now showing us demonstrated in the way that Jesus lived. He's fully God and fully man, continually, and he wants to know you. So the infinite God wants an intimate relationship with you, and he sees you. And if you come and see, you follow him, you'll see the God who who sees you. Not only that, you'll see where he's leading you, that's the next thing that we see in this passage. I love that statement that he says to Nathaniel at the end. He says, you believe because I said I saw you under the fig tree. He's like, yeah. He says, you haven't seen anything yet. I was reading a book, uh, Harmonies of the Gospels by Dwight Pentecost. Yes, I did have a professor in seminary whose last name is actually Pentecost. That's crazy. It's like you change your name to that. What is that? And he writes in his take on this John situation that that Nathaniel has seen the omniscience of God, his all-knowingness. He's about to see his omnipotence, his power. He says, you're going to see angels ascending and descending, and that's an allusion to Jacob's vision in Genesis chapter 28, and go read that on your own. And, And Jesus might be saying, I'm the ladder, I'm the way. I have come, my feet are on this ground, I'm the only way, I am the life, I am the truth, and you're seeing me because he is the son of man. Just talked about it at the end. That's why I love the children to say, that's me. That's true. But you think about what happens next. They go to Nathaniel's hometown, Cana. And we're not going to preach this miracle in this series, but the next miracle is in John chapter 2, where Jesus turns water into wine. Sorry, Baptist. I know you think it's grape juice or whatever in that situation. The charismatics are like, Jesus can throw down. It's awesome. And so sometimes what happens is we read this miracle and we're like, Jesus is the best winemaker ever because we talk about how the passage says that at the beginning they serve the wine and then usually people bring out the cheap stuff, but they serve the wine and then Jesus made wine that was better than the best wine they had. So Jesus is the best winemaker. Those of you who like wine, that's a great thing about Jesus. And so he brings that out there and then we get all caught up in that and whether you can drink or not drink and all that stuff. Have you ever noticed when you read that, not everybody knew it was a miracle. People that are at the place think that the, the host has brought out the best wine. It's only the people in the kitchen that know that Jesus turned the water into wine. They're sitting there with those 20 and 30 gallon jugs. There's six of them, according to the text. You can read the passage yourself. And it's only the servants, only the ones that were serving, actually saw what was happening there. But all the servants didn't believe either. So it's possible to have Jesus right here and still not see. But in John chapter 2 and verse 11, it's really interesting. The ones that were following, they got it. They got to see. John chapter 2 and verse 11, we'll put up on the screen. And it says this, this, the first of his signs. What does a sign do? A sign is not the destination. A sign points you to a destination. The first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana and Galilee. The sign's pointing to Jesus, and here's a seeing word, and manifested his glory. And his disciples, the ones that were already following, believed in him. It's interesting the call to come and see. You've got to come before you see. And so a lot of us, we want to know God's plan for our life. Who here, does, who here wants to know what God's plan is for your life? I'm not saying you're going to do it. Just want to know. Most of us, that's most people. Some of you, like I said, you know, raise your hand. I got you. I see you every time, Keith, by the way. Anyway, there, there are a lot of people that want to know God's plan. But it's like we want him to send it ahead so we can read it over Maybe send it back with some revisions. <laughs> I see one of my attorney friends here. It's like, somebody sends you a contract, you send it to your attorney, and they say, well, change this, and I don't like that. If we're going to mitigate this thing, we want to bring it to Raleigh, not in Philadelphia. And so it's like, we think that was like God's plan. So just attorney, I see you attorneys. So that's not what we get to do with God's plan. You want to know God's plan? Walk on God's path. His path? Not come alongside me. Not show me where you're headed. I'll let you know if it's a good idea. It's follow me. Come and see. And the way you come and see is you go after him. And what you see is that the people that follow, they get to see stuff nobody else gets to see. John chapter 3, we are going to look at next week. It's a famous encounter of the teacher of Israel, a guy named Nicodemus, coming at nighttime because he doesn't know what's going on. John chapter 3 and verse 3, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, this is really important is what Jesus is saying there. I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Then you go to John chapter 4. We're going to spend at least two weeks in John chapter 4. It's one of my favorite passages in John, probably my second favorite. 
There's this woman at the well, and she's got a reputation, and she's coming in the middle of the day, and Jesus is there, and she wants to talk about hymnals or screens and rock music or rap on Sundays, and Jesus says, the problem is people don't know who they worship. The time's coming. It doesn't matter where you're at. You'll be able to worship in spirit and truth. And, and then God opens her eyes that she gets to see that he is the Messiah. He is the Christ. And it's very interesting. She came to the well to get water. She leaves her jar. That's not important anymore in her new life. Instead, she runs to the people in the town and she says, come and see. A man who told me everything. And I told you last week in John chapter 8, Jesus declares himself the light of the world. And in John chapter 9, he opens the eyes of a guy that had been born blind, lived in darkness his whole life. And the Pharisees get mad, and he says, I was blind and I can see. And then the guy worships Jesus. And then they say in John chapter 9 and verse 40, people who can physically see, are we blind? Yes. Because there's stuff you don't see because you're not following Jesus. There's a lot to see. And then we criticize people like Thomas who wasn't there when the resurrected Christ appeared as if we would have been like, oh, I believe. No, that, all your friends saw it. You didn't see it. You're going to go, picture, didn't happen. And they didn't have iPhones. Man. So I need to see it too. And in John chapter 20, verses 26 through 29, eight days later, his disciples were inside again. And Thomas was with them this time. Thomas realized, I'm going off on myself. That's not helping out. Although the doors were locked, Jesus, that's interesting, Jesus came and stood among them and said, you're probably really scared right now, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. We don't know if Thomas did. And see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe, Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Yep. Then look at what Jesus says. This applies to us. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. What happens next is my favorite chapter in John, John chapter 21, is that Peter, after denying Jesus, is being restored by Jesus. And Jesus, to the guy who he called the rock, and you know he's not a rock, right? Like he's impulsive. He is he's brash. He says things that he doesn't do. Like lots of stuff wrong with Peter. Jesus didn't say he was a rock based on his potential. <laughs> he was going to make him something new, which is what he does with you and me when we believe upon him. John chapter 1, verse 12, he gave you the right to become children of God. You weren't a child of God who needed a renovation. You just need a little help. We'll get the best version of you. And, and some of you are like, I trusted Christ when I was four. What did he do different? You're not who you would have been at 40 without Jesus. It's the deconstruction, the, the tearing down. Demo day didn't take as long. But you're still new. And for Peter, what you see with Peter is that Peter is living in Facebook world before there was Facebook. Peter does get God's plan for his life ahead of time. Because Jesus says to him, hey, there's coming a time where you're, gonna, you're not going to get to go where you want to go. People are going to lead you. You're going to get crucified, Peter. And then Peter says, what about this guy? Talking about John, which is what we do on Facebook. Does anybody have a better life than me? Yes, they do. You can always find somebody. And then Jesus doesn't tell him John's plan, his plan. He's like, what if he doesn't ever die? That's not the plan for John. You know what he says to him? He goes, what is it to you? What do you care what I do in his life? You follow me. Which is interesting because at one time when he first said that to Peter, it meant drop your fishing nets, leave everything, and whatever town I go to, come to that town. Whatever I tell you to do, do that thing. Okay, but Jesus already died. He's resurrected in a few days, he's going to ascend to the right hand of the Father. So what does he mean now when he says, follow me? It's the same thing he means to us. You're going to follow, but you're not going to see. You're just not physically following me from place to place. And what you see with Peter is he starts to become a different person. Not the guy who denied that he was ever with Jesus to a little servant girl. The one who stands up and preaches to the most powerful people in the world, you killed Jesus. And he doesn't care if they come to his church the next week. He doesn't want them going to hell. And then you keep reading in his life and this impulsive man who was impatient, who said he would never deny, writes to a group of people that are suffering, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, says things like this. A day to the Lord is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. That's a different person, by the way, because he's become the rock. What do you get to see? 
What you see in Peter's life, if you track through it, and the same if you look at the other disciples that grow in Christ, is that they've got the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit, they've turned from their sin, they've turned to Christ, they've got the Holy Spirit, because you can't do it apart from the Holy Spirit. That's why they mess up so much in the Gospels. That's why Jesus says, before he tells them to go be witnesses, you don't go do this without the Holy Spirit, because you need power to do this. You need to be a new creator. Not only, you don't just get to see stuff, you're going to experience stuff. And what you see, that believing in the gospel of John starts to be that you're secure in Christ. You didn't save yourself. You can't unsave yourself. And you find satisfaction in Christ. That's why he says, I'm living. You thirsty? I'm living water. Come to me. I'm the bread of life. You hungry? Come to me. You worn out? You weary? You burdened? Everyone, come to me. I'll give you rest for your soul. And what you find is, it's people that believing doesn't mean facts in your head. The demons got the best theology in the gospel of John. Peter, Nathaniel, these guys get it wrong all the time. They go to Jesus for their source of satisfaction. That's belief. They go to Jesus for their security. They go to Jesus to stay in step with Jesus. So you want to know what it is to follow him? It's to go to him for security. It's to go to him for your source of satisfaction. It's to go to him to stay in step with him. But here's the reality. We read through the Gospel of John, and there are people who start to follow that don't follow through with following. John chapter 6, every, they all wanted to get fed. And then when he gives some teachings that don't fit a Jesus like them. You feeling where I'm going? I'm stepping on your toes on purpose. They leave. Jesus says, are you going to leave too? Knowing that Judas was in the crowd. And Peter says, where are we going to go? You're the only one. It doesn't matter if we like you or not. You're the only one with the words of eternal life. But the problem is you can't follow two things at once. Right now I'm teaching a couple of my kids how to drive, pray for me, that I survive. Um, pray for them, that our relationship stays intact because they get mad at me. They think I'm too intense, like they start to do something wrong. And they're like, chill, brah. And I'm like, first of all, I'm not your brah. What is a brah? What is a brah? Is that... Second, I'll chill when I'm confident you're not going to kill me or you or anyone else like out here. And so... You, you chill. Do what I said. And what, I, what I'm learning is there are a lot of life lessons in teaching driving. Because like one of my daughters, she was turning, and then she's like unturning the car. Like turn and then unturn. I was like, whoa, whoa, the car will just let it go. It'll do something. Don't make this harder than it needs to be. Like life. Life is already hard. Don't make it harder than it needs to be. And so we talked through some of that. And one of the things that you learn when you're teaching driving is, you know, there's two signs. They point in different directions. You can't follow both signs. You can't have two GPSs telling you different things, follow both at the same time. You follow another car, you can only follow one car at a time. The way Jesus says it is, you can't have two masters. You'll love one, you'll hate the other. It's Matthew chapter 6. And we follow a lot of stuff. The news cycle, politicians, favorite celebrities, our friends, the stock market, what's happening in our career field, what's happening with other people that like the hobbies that we like. We follow lots of stuff. And that can be okay if those things are pointing you to Jesus. See, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Okay, so you can follow other people and other things that are also following Jesus, but when you start following things that aren't following Christ, you're not following Christ, which applies to last week's fake Jesus. Well, I follow Jesus, which one? The one that agrees with all of my opinions and wants for me what I want for me. Probably not the Jesus of the Bible. But the Jesus of the Bible bids you to come. Come. You thirsty? Come. You hungry? Come. You tired? Come. You want satisfaction? Come. Need security? Come. So you come and see. Father, we come before you, thankful that you've come to us. All these world religions trying to figure out how to get to you, and you came to us. We would have never guessed that. We would have never even drawn up that plan. We try to be moral enough. We try to be good enough. We try to clean ourselves up enough. And you came to us just as we are and then called us to come and see who you are. And Father, I pray. I pray if there's somebody watching online that doesn't know you. I pray if there's somebody in this room that doesn't know you and they're thinking they've got to get it all figured out and could anything good come from Nazareth and they got doubts about you and how could a God who lets this bad thing happen ever be a good God? Come and see. Come and experience him. Is the real issue that? Or is the real issue that you, like the woman at the well, have sin you don't want to deal with? Like Nathaniel, maybe you're racist. 
Or maybe you've got a political view, or maybe you've got a, 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 an idol in your own heart, and you think maybe you won't be able to be as rich as you want to be, or as whatever. You're afraid. That's the real issue. Come and see. He's good. He's scary. He is not who you imagined, but He's good. And I just challenge you. I don't need to give you the words. God knows if you're sincerely crying out in your heart. The reason they came is because John the Baptist said he's the Lamb of God. He would, John the Baptist was saying he's the only one that can deal with your sin. You only have one option to deal with your sin. His name is Jesus. I challenge you to place your faith in him if you don't know him. In your own words, just cry out to him. Say, I want Jesus today. And you turn your life over to him. He sees. He's there. Father, I pray there's some that have been following a false Jesus or been going down the wrong path and been following things that are leading them away from Jesus. I pray right now in this moment you would confront them. This would be a moment of turning, turning to you, getting back on the path. We all need that regularly, and so regularly right now if you need to recommit your life to Jesus, you do that. Whatever words that means, you talk to him. Because I'm talking to people who have been following Jesus for at least a little bit right now. You know how to talk to him. You just talk to him. He knows what you're thinking. You don't need to dress it up, put it in the King James. You just talk to him. And Father, I pray. I pray for people who maybe feel like no one knows, no one sees. You just let them know, I see you. I did not turn my face from you. I was with you. When your spouse died, I was with you. When this came down, I was with you when you were betrayed. I was with you when you were abandoned. I was with you when kids did this or that and somebody won't talk to you. And why is everybody? You were there in the abuse, the neglect, all of it. God, thank you for seeing. Thank you for being the God who sees, who's present, who cares, and who provides. Continue to provide. Provide comfort for some right now. Provide healing. There are a lot of hurting. Provide truth and guidance and light so that we won't stumble in the darkness. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.